Very good morning, family. Today we continue our sermon series uh, in the book of Romans, uh, Romans chapter 6. I'll just read a a portion of that chapter, beginning at verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, him here refers to Jesus, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. The death He died, He died to sins once for all, and the life He lives, He lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of your body, of yourself, to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace." This is the Word of God. Come, let us pray together as we begin. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful passage. Holy Spirit, we invite you, we need you, Lord, to come and touch us, teach us, and empower us to live out this powerful Word. Indeed, help us to offer ourselves afresh to you as we hear your Word, because you, Lord, are worthy of it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so today's uh, sermon revolves around this fundamental question, who is our master? Who really is our master? Although there are many people who think that they are masters over their own lives, you can probably think of some of your own family members or friends think that they are masters over their own lives. From God's point of view, there are really only two masters. Either we are ma- slaves or our master is sin or we are, our master is God. There really is no middle ground. In Romans 6, it teaches us that we are either slaves to sin or we are slaves to God. For those who think that they are masters over their own lives, or maybe God is their money, or somebody, or God is their money is their God, or something else is their God, uh, the Bible tells us there is only one reality, and the reality for all of us is this: we are all beginning with slaves to sin. For those who think they are masters over their own lives. In reality, they are only slaves to sin. Sin is their master. As Romans 6.23 poignantly says, the wages of sin is death. I like this imagery that Paul uses here, wages. So imagine this. Imagine you work for a boss, but instead of giving you your uh, check or money every month after your you know, work or daily work, he gives you food instead. So imagine in ancient past, that's how they get paid. They, paid by, they are paid by salt or food. And so, your bosses, every time they give you food as your wages, unknown to you, he laces your food with drugs. And so, the more you work for him, and not just because of your hunger, the more you want to be there. Because now, your body is adapting to the drug. The more you eat, the more you crave for it. And the more you crave for it, the higher the addiction. You can imagine this. And so, slowly, slowly, we begin to be addicted. And then, finally, we find ourselves on this downward spiral, leading eventually towards death. Because we know... Taking drugs, eventually we get trapped in it and it leads to death. So make no mistakes, my friends. Sin is pleasurable. Sin is pleasurable and we probably have experienced that pleasure, but it only pays well for that split second. 
sin, once it gets us hooked, it becomes like this craving, and then we find ourselves in this downward spiral, like a drug addict, eventually leading towards our own death. God, on the other hand, is the master, the gracious master who leads us towards eternal life. As the sovereign Lord over our world, God has to place in certain uh, forms of rules and regulations. What kind of master has no rules, right? Even your own household, you have certain rules. Each household has their own rules because we are the master of our houses. <coughs> if a master has absolutely no rules and let you do whatever you wanted, then really, who is the master? You are the master, right? Instead of the person who has set the rules. And so if there is God does not set any rule at all, any law, then He is no longer the sovereign Lord. Every sovereign country also has its own rules and regulations. A country that has no laws goes into anarchy. So we understand that concept. So God being the sovereign Lord also has certain rules and laws that He has set in place. Satan would have us believe that there is freedom to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That we have mastery over our own lives. That we can choose for ourselves what is good and what is evil the moment we eat of the fruit. But the reality is that it leads only to death. It leads only to death. And so here's the irony. Satan offers many options. I let you choose. You know, you can be free to do whatever you want. Freedom, endless freedom. But really, it leads only to one result. That is death. <coughs> God, on the other hand, imposes only one law from the beginning. You may eat of any tree. Only one law. You can eat of any tree except that one tree. If you eat of it, you will surely die. So you can imagine that. So much freedom, you know. I can eat from the durian tree on Monday, papaya tree, Tuesday, apple tree, orange tree, mango tree, so many trees. I can eat non-stop. I just cannot eat of that one tree. It seems so limiting that I cannot eat that one tree. But actually, God, through that limitation, offers us endless true freedom. And yet we foolishly, as human beings, choose to disobey God and eat of that one tree. I don't know how many of you watched this Japanese game show a uh, lot years ago. It's called Takashi's Castle. I used to watch it as a young boy. So these contestants basically try to conquer the castle. Uh, there are various obstacles along the way. And at some point in this game show, they will come to this place where there are several doors, multiple doors, and then there's this guy dressed up uh, like a monster trying to scare the contestants to choose the wrong door. Very hilarious game show. And so say, Satan is like that. He offers to us many multiple options. Seemingly, wow, you have a choice. But in the end, every door leads to death. You fall down, the contestants will fall down, quite hilarious, uh, the show. But there's only one consequence. No matter which door you choose, it leads only to death. God, on the other hand, only offers us one door. One door, no other choice. But once you walk through that door, you find life and glorious future that, and hope that God promises to us. That's why Paul says in verses 20 to 22, just as you used to offer ourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, in the Greek, actually, literally, it says lawlessness to even more lawlessness. Just as you used to do that, you were lawless and you grew in lawlessness. But now, offer ourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading towards holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were so-called free, right? You can do whatever you want, but you were also free from the control of righteousness. What benefit do you reap at a time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. And now that you have been set free from sin and you have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result <coughs> excuse me, is eternal life. 
By the way, don't panic. Uh. I got reflux issue. Okay, it's not COVID. So reflux uh, manifests as dry cough. Uh, so that's how I, when I get stressed, I get reflux. And this is one of the things. I uh, pray for my healing as well. So anyway, <clears throat> friends, really for us, what is our choice? What will we choose? Will we choose sin as our master? Or will we choose God as our master? What is the end result we want? And it's not just a choice when you made to become a Christian, to say the sinner's prayer. Really, it's a daily choice. It's a daily choice. Do we choose to submit ourselves to sin or to submit ourselves to God? What is the end result we want? Let's make our choices wisely. As Matthew 6.24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, or whatever else you replace there. You cannot serve two gods. That's the reality God is saying. That's why Paul began Romans 6 by asking, Shall we remain in sin so that grace may abound? Or he rephrases the question in verse 15, Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? The answer is no, of course not. It's like saying you want the benefits from two masters. You want to continue to sin and yet you want to enjoy the benefits of grace. How can it be? It's like Wu Jian Tao, you know. Traitor, two-headed snake. You want the benefits on both sides? That's not possible. To use another analogy, should a beggar continue begging so that others around can always display their generosity? That's a very warped thinking, right? What should be done is to help educate this beggar, teach him the skills that's necessary so that he can find work for himself rather than forever letting him back so that we can display our generosity. No. So Paul says, if we are dead to sin, how can we continue to live in it? It's like the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Previously they were slaves, but now that they're out, they are free. They are free people. How can they go back to Egypt once again to be slaves? That's crazy. Or for us Singaporeans, we have been independent of Malaysia for many years now, putting the political situation aside. Can we go back and join them? It's not possible. Even from a positive angle, a baby that's born out of the womb, can the baby go back to the womb? The womb for all its benefits to the growing child is wonderful, but once the child is born, the womb is dead to the child because the child cannot go back to the womb any longer because for all its benefits, it cannot sustain life for the human being to grow. And that's why Jesus says, we cannot serve two masters. You are either under one regime or you are under the other regime. You cannot be under two regimes. It's not logically possible. But I also know, having been in ministry for many years as a pastor, you know, just because we Christians know something in our heads doesn't mean that we will necessarily live it out. And so for this next portion of our sermon, I just want to highlight to us how great Jesus our Master is. How much He loves you and He deserves your loyalty and love. Because unless this message sinks into our heart and spirit, we will always find it hard to submit to Christ's Lordship. So I pray that as we hear the following passages, we will recognize truly who is the greater master, the one who deserves all our worship and submission. First, we begin with Matthew 12. It's recorded for us that the crowds brought to Jesus a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so he could both talk and see. Wow, this is a tremendous miracle here. Double healing. And all the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they were jealous. And they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. 
Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. See, you cannot have two heads, a traitor in a kingdom, even a kingdom, it just can't stand. Just think of the political situation in Malaysia. Every kingdom divided against, against itself will definitely be ruined. Every city or household against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, Jesus says, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then, interestingly, Jesus says in verse 29, Again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? The analogy is logical, right? How can you go into someone's house and take away all the possessions unless you first tie the person up? Then you can plunder his house. And so Jesus is acknowledging here that Satan is the strong man. That's only part one, thankfully. Incredibly, part two, Jesus is the the stronger man who comes to bind up Satan, tie him up. And number three, get this, he plunders his house. So here really is the wonderful news of God, the power of God. All that Satan has robbed away from us, stolen away from us, Jesus is the stronger man. He's going to come in and bind Satan up, plunder him and return to us all the years that the locusts have eaten. Who, tell me, who is the greater master? Clearly, Jesus is the one who will restore to us all that the devil has stolen away from us. So here's the truth we cannot run away from. The one that we respect or fear more is the one whom we will obey. So I pray again that the Holy Spirit will enable us uh, to see how magnified, how great Jesus is, so that we will be willing to submit to him. In the next portion, we want to show you. I want to show you Jesus in every book of the Bible. Uh, it's not up on the slides per se, the details, but you can Google it for yourself. Jesus in every book of the Bible, and the top few Google results will give you all these uh, findings. There are some variants, but generally they all seek to magnify Jesus. So here we go. In Genesis, Jesus is the promised seed of the woman. In Exodus, Jesus is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the great high priest. In Numbers, he's the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet that is better than Moses. In Joshua, Jesus is the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he's the judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he is our reigning king. In Ezra, he's the rebuilder of broken down walls. In Nehemiah, he's the restorer of the entire nation. In Esther, he's our Mordecai. In Job, he's our ever-living redeemer. In Psalms, he's our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's our wisdom. In the Song of Songs, Jesus is our lover, our bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's our suffering servant, but also the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he's our righteous branch. In Lamentations, he's our weeping prophet, weeping over the sins of our world. In Ezekiel, he's the son of man, full of glory. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in life's fiery furnace. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband. In Joel, he's the baptizer of the Holy Ghost and fire. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's the mighty one to save. In Jonah, he's the great missionary. In Michael, he's the messenger of beautiful feet. In Habakkuk, he's God's evangelist crying out for revival. In Haggai, he's the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, he's the fountain opened up in the house of David for the cleansing of sins. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. 
In Matthew, he's the Messiah. In Mark, he's the miracle worker. In Luke, he's the son of man who identifies with our humanity. In John, he's the son of God who reveals God's identity. <coughs> in Acts, he's the Lord, ascended Lord who sends out his church. In Romans, he's our justifier. In First and Second Corinthians, he's our sanctifier. In Galatians, he's our redeemer from the curse of law. In Ephesians, he's the Christ of the unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he's the God who supplies all our needs. In Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead. In First and Second Thessalonians, he's the soon coming King. In First and Second Timothy, he's our mediator between God and us. In Titus, he's our faithful pastor. In Philemon, he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he's the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, he's our great physician. In First and Second Peter, he's our chief shepherd. In First, Second, Third John, he's agape love. In Jude, he's the coming Lord, coming with 10,000 of his saints. In the book of Revelations, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Wow. Let's praise God with that. Let's give you a clap offering. But more than that, truly, he is the Lord of lords, the King of kings. Let him be magnified in our eyes so that we be willing to fully submit ourselves to him. Paul declares in verse 5, for we have been united with Him in the death like this, we will certainly, Paul has no doubt of the power of God, we will certainly also be united in the resurrection like His. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, and we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe we will also live with Him, for we know that as since Christ was raised from dead, He can die no longer. He cannot die anymore. Right? Death no longer has mastery over him. This is our Lord, Jesus, who has overcome death. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives unto God. So we are already dead to sin. We are set free from sin. Death no longer has mastery over us. There is only one true master, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. There is only one true master. So let's acknowledge him and learn to submit ourselves to him. Based on these verses, <clears throat> I preached before, but it's always good to hear this same old message. You know, to a corpse, there is no temptation. You can bring the best food to it, but he will not wake up and respond to it. You can bring a whole stack of cash, beautiful house. You can bring whatever you want, whatever contemptations common to man, bring it before a corpse and there will be no response. Why? Because it's dead. Because it's dead. <coughs> so we really need to recognize we are dead to sin. We are dead to sin. And so if sin comes knocking on our doors, temptations come knocking on our doors, we are dead. We should not respond to it any longer. Temptations only have effect if we choose to give in to them. So really here, this is the good news that all of us Christians recognize and need to live in it. That we have power over sin. We are no longer slaves to sin, we have died to sin. Before we were Christians, before we were saved, yes, we were slaves of sin. That means we had no choice. Slaves have no freedom, no choice. No choice but to obey the Master. But now the difference Paul is saying is this. We are no longer in this realm. We have been made alive. We are new creation. New creatures. And now we have the choice because the Holy Spirit lives in us. We choose. Do you want to continue to submit yourself to sin as your master or will we submit ourselves to Jesus 
the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, our great Redeemer. That's the big difference. Previously, we had no choice, but now, every day, we are confronted with a choice. Will we choose to submit ourselves to the right Master? The other reality is this. The one whom we love more is the one we will serve willingly. The one whom we love more is the one we will serve willingly. The story was told of a husband and wife who didn't really love each other. The man was very demanding, so much so that he prepared a list of rules and regulations for his wife to follow. He insisted that she would read them over every day and obey them to the letter. Among many other things, his do's and don'ts indicated such details as what time she had to wake up in the morning, when his breakfast should be served, and how the household work uh, should be done. After several long years, this husband died. As time passed, the woman fell in love with another man, one who dearly loved her, and soon they were married. This husband, this new husband, did everything he could to make his new wife happy, continually showering her with love, tokens of appreciation, so and so forth. And one day, as she was cleaning her house, she found tucked away in the drawer the list of commands that the first husband had given to her. As she looked over it, it dawned upon her that even though her present husband had given her no list, she was doing everything on that list that the first husband had given to her. It's when, it's that moment that she realized she was so devoted to this man that her deepest desire was simply to please him out of love, not out of obligation. Out of love, not out of obligation. And so the one whom we love more is the one we will serve willingly. This is what motivated Paul when he gave the instructions in verses 11 to 14. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. Don't love it anymore, but alive to God and Christ Jesus because you are indeed alive. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer yourself or part of yourself as, to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves now to God who has been brought forth from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. In case we are not clear, Paul says it very clearly here. Sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. God's favour and blessings. You have a new master who will take care of you. So submit yourselves willingly to this wonderful master. As we draw this sermon to a close, I feel the Lord impressed upon me as well. Four important reasons why we should pursue righteousness. We know in our heads, but I want to expand this concept a bit more. The first two reasons come from the Romans passage. We want to pursue righteousness because it is our proper response. It is the right response to this wonderful God who is righteous and holy and because we want to be like Him, because He totally demands 100% allegiance from us, we submit ourselves to Him to follow His ways of righteousness. That's quite straightforward. <clears throat> verse 16 tells us God has redeemed us. The second reason <clears throat> comes from verse 19. Righteousness enables us to reach for God's holiness. It makes us righteous. Not just seen as righteous, but actually makes us righteous. Justification, if you recall Dr. Charles' uh, sermon much earlier on in this series, only allows us to be seen as righteous. It means externally, when God the Father looks at us, He sees us as Jesus, because the blood of Christ covers us. He sees us as pure and holy because of what Jesus has done for us. That's justification. But inwardly, we are not yet made righteous. 
So outwardly, we are seen to be righteous. We are right standing before God. We can come boldly before God because every time we come to God the Father, we come in Jesus Christ's name. But inwardly, we are not yet like Jesus. And so that's where sanctification comes in. We are in this process of being cleansed, purified, and become righteous. Sanctification is internal. And so, offering our bodies daily to God, to God's Spirit, as instruments of righteousness, will purify us, gradually sanctify us, so that inwardly and outwardly, there is congruence. So it's to bring the inward part that is no, not yet righteous, more and more, up to meet the mark of the righteousness that Christ has already purchased for us. So that's the second reason to pursue righteousness, is to reach out for God's holiness to become more like Him. Third reason is that righteousness rescues cities from destruction. Do we have it on the slide? I think all the pointers are there. Do you remember the conversation that God had with uh, Abraham before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? Abraham approached God and said, God, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the sick, a place for the sick of these 50 righteous people? Far be from you, the judge of the earth, to sweep away the righteous together with the wicked. Will not the judge of the earth do what is right? And the Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will not destroy it. Then Abraham spoke out again, Okay, God, I've been so bold even though I'm just dust and ashes. What if there are only 45? And the Lord said, Okay, for 45 righteous people, I will not destroy the city. And so the conversation goes on and on, and then eventually Abraham bargains it out to, Okay, just 10. If there are only 10 righteous people, and God says, Okay, I will spare the entire city for 10 righteous people. Of course, in the end, we know Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because they were so full of evil and wickedness. Not a single person was righteous. They were eventually destroyed. But the point here that I want to make, and I believe God wants to remind us, is this. Righteousness can rescue an entire city. COVID-19 is something that attacks us, right? But it's only one. There will be many other tragedies, crises that will hit us not just as a city, as a nation, but globally. You can be assured of that. Jesus already said there will be wars, rumors of wars, there will be earthquakes, famines, all kinds of stuff. You can be assured of that. But the point here, Abraham is making, and the Bible is teaching us, and we should recognize is this. Righteousness actually can rescue an entire city. And so we pursue righteousness, not just for our own sake anymore. Reasons 1 and 2, we pursue it because of our own devotion to God. But reason three and four, we begin to see the importance of righteousness for entire city, for entire nation. Proverbs 14 verse 34 says this, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. Righteousness will exalt, raise up an entire nation, not just rescue it. You know, rescue is only part one. Being exalted to fulfill God's destiny and plans for the nation Singapore has always been known called towards the being the anti of Asia, to be the missionary country that will send people all throughout Asia to declare the good news of Jesus Christ. Will we be exalted as a nation? In COVID-19, to some extent, uh, the whole world has been praising Singapore's standard, right? How we do our healthcare and stuff like that. That's because of righteousness, the way we choose to do what's right. So as people of God, we need to hear what God is saying to us in our circumstance. 
Let's pursue righteousness to exalt our nation. I mentioned this in one of my earlier devotions. I think it can still be found on our website. Isaiah 60 verse 1. Arise, shine, church. Arise, shine. For the glory of God has already risen upon us. Don't just live for yourselves. We are living for our city, for our nation. You already heard my call from God for me to pastor the city. I want all of us to join me. Let us offer ourselves daily to God as instruments of righteousness, wherever we are, at home, on the street, on public transport, in our cars, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our army camps, wherever we are. Let's choose righteousness. And because instrument of salvation to our world, and to lift them up. I invite you to stand, please. I'm going to guide us in this prophetic act of rededicating our body parts to the Lord, literally. Uh, initially, I wanted us to lay hands on the various parts of our bodies, uh, but because of COVID-19, we cannot touch our faces. So, we will just put our hands on our hearts, okay? It's symbolic because our heart uh, really is the wellspring of life, and listen as we, uh, we pray together. Come, let's dedicate ourselves afresh to God as instruments of righteousness. Lord, we dedicate to you our minds. Lord, we know where the mind, the, the battle really takes place is in our mind. So Lord, we dedicate our minds to you. Renew our minds according to your word. Help us to think of good, holy and pure thoughts and learn to meditate on your word. Lord, we dedicate to you our eyes. Help us to be careful of what we see. Help us to be quick to turn away from things that take our attention Distract us from you. Lord, we dedicate to you our ears. Help us to listen to your voice. To be able to differentiate between the noise of the world, the voices of the evil one, and your voice. Help us to listen and obey. Lord, we dedicate to you an important area of our lives, our lips, our mouth, our tongue. Lord, help us to be pure in speech. Where people are gossiping, speaking you of each other, grumbling, complaining, Lord, forbid us from doing that. Teach us to speak words that bring life, encouragement. Lord, we dedicate to you our hearts. Give us an undivided heart that will love you and honour you in all things. Lord, we dedicate to you our hands. Let our hands never do anything that cause wickedness, but Lord, help us to build lives and build things that will last. Lord, we dedicate to you even our stomachs. Food paradise in Singapore, help us to recognize that truly you are the source of life. Your word is the bread of life. So give us the hunger for you, Lord. Lord, we dedicate to you our feet. Help us to be messengers of the gospel of peace. This gospel that has power to transform and to rescue and redeem lives. So, Lord, we dedicate to you our whole body. Let it be a pleasing sacrifice unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, class meeting questions. Sorry, please be seated for a while. I forgot about the class meeting questions. Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> okay, so it's up on the slides as well. Uh, they encouraged yesterday at the Zone Leaders meeting. 
uh, zone leaders reported that most of the cell groups continue to meet. So we encourage you continue to meet, of course, with the precautionary measures. Uh, let's not give up meeting. If you are not able to meet, uh, you can use apps. And some cell groups do use apps to meet and pray for each other. So we continue to do that. And uh, some cell groups, most cell groups have already moved on to the class meeting questions and they found the discussions sharing to be really authentic and helpful. So I encourage us to press on. Two questions. How are we indebted to God, our Master? <clears throat> Share the most recent testimony. So don't be too generic. God has saved me. I mean, yeah, Allah, we all same boat. Uh, they don't need to answer the question already, right? So sharing something that is specific to you, you know, God that did something for you, that indebted to God, as recent as possible. And number two, how will you be pursuing righteousness in your daily life? So maybe share a practical way that you can live out for Christ in your workplace, in your homes, something like that. And importantly, pray for each other because unless God's Spirit empowers us, we have no power to, to live righteous lives on our own. Alright, so these are the questions for us in this coming week.